amazing and awesome God of the universe, our refuge, our rock, our fortress, our defender. Lord, we cry out to you and you hear our voice. And that's amazing in itself. And we just praise you that you have loved us enough to send your son to take our place and to pay the penalty for our sin. Father, well, take this time now and use it for your honor and for the glory of your kingdom. May we grow as we study God's word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you look at your second page of notes for this section, you'll see what I call a discovering wonderful thing sheet. Can you raise your hand if you are familiar with this kind of Bible study? You've seen this kind of sheet before? Okay. Uh, just a couple of you, so uh, that's good. Um, what we're talking about is biblical change and the tongue. <clears throat> and you say to yourself, what's that got to do with depression? And I say, a lot. When you are depressed, you are Eeyore on steroids. Basically, everything you say to yourself and to others is negative. I said There's nothing I enjoy. There's no humor in my life. And the counselor said to me, Bob, you're chuckling. And I said, as I stopped and observed, well, yes, I did chuckle about that. But I did that automatically without feeling. And how can I chuckle and not, and be saying, this isn't really funny anymore. But at the same time, outwardly, I'm chuckling. Well, you have uh, to deal with the tongue and what you're saying to others. And much of, you know, what you say to yourself is pure negative. But that also then comes out in what you're saying to others. So if this area can be worked on, it can be very effective. And this type of study can be very effective in your life and in the lives of those that you counsel in every area. So I've particularly chosen this uh, to end our time, and then we'll have the Q&A, but uh, to end our time together, to be able to think this through together, but I also want you to think about it, and we're going to do it in the light of a case study, um, just to show you, in a sense, the whole process of biblical change and how it can take place uh, in the heart uh, quickly, uh, amazingly quickly, in certain cases. But I will warn you ahead of time, this is my best case scenario ever, okay? I have been biblically counseling since 1971. You do the math, and this is the best case ever. So, and this case was not specifically depression at all, although the lady was um, very discouraged about her marriage, but the reason that she came was because her marriage was on the rocks. So... We'll pick on Susie again and just call this lady Susie. Susie comes for counseling. She comes to the Biblical Counseling and Educational Center because she wants biblical counseling. She is, as we're learning through the PDI and through interviewing her in the first session, she is a member of BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. How many are familiar with Bible Study Fellowship? All right, almost everybody. You have to do at least three hours of study on the passage for the week. You have particularly content questions, context questions, application questions. It's really thorough, good, inductive Bible study training. She's been doing this for 15 years since she became a believer. Uh, 
They've been married about 25 years, but her, their marriage is falling apart. Her husband doesn't care about talking anymore. He doesn't care about listening anymore. He doesn't want to spend time together. He doesn't want to do things together. No more date night. Doesn't want to do the things that need to be done around their ranch. Doesn't want to take care of those details. Um, but he is off down the road helping out Henry and doing chores for Henry and helping him out and talking to him when he really ought to be home talking to me. And uh, she gave me a, a more extensive viewpoint of what was wrong with the marriage. And uh, I listened because I'm trying to gather data as to exactly where she is. And uh, she has come to get her marriage fixed, and she wants biblical advice. So I said, well, let's ask a question. Let's say now, what if your husband was here? And she's already made it clear that he has no desire to come and doesn't want to be involved in counseling. He doesn't think their marriage needs counseling. Problem is her, as far as he's concerned in what she's said. So what exactly would he say is your problem? And she said, well... He would say, I have a negative spirit. I'm a nagger, a complainer. I said, well, does he have any evidence that would convict you in that area? She said, well, it depends on what you mean. And I said, well, you explain to me because I'm trying to find out from you the answers. <clears throat> so she said, well, you know, he goes down to Henry. He spends hours down there. He does the chores that Henry needs done when he isn't doing the chores that we need done. And I remind him these are the chores that we need done. I remind him that we don't have a date night anymore. I remind him that he never talks with me. He won't even mute the remote while the commercials are on and talk during the commercials. Um, And you know the mindlessness of the commercials. And he's just watching the commercials. And uh, we just don't have any marriage anymore. I said, well, what is he doing for Henry? And who is Henry anyways? Well, Henry's... He lives down this, yes, I know, but what about him? What, how old is he? What does he do? Oh, he's retired. Uh, he's a widower. His wife died a year ago. Uh, he's probably about 80. Um, he can't really do stuff around his ranch anymore. He really needs help, but his kids don't help him out. And, um, and, you know, and he's just kind of on his own there. And I said, well, what does your husband do? Well, he does all the chores for him that he ought to be doing for us. And I said, well, and what else? He said, well, he's down there visiting with Henry. I said, okay. Um, now, that's what he would say is your problem, that you nag him. Do you nag him? Well, yes, if, if you want to call it that. Um, I'm just trying to get him to do what he should be doing. So, but you are criticizing him, and you're judging his motives, and you're, you're being critical. Well, yes, I guess so, if you put it that way. All right, well, let's... Let's see what the Bible says about where we should start. Because you said you wanted biblical counseling. And this lady is one of those live ones, as I call them. You know, she came ready to learn, ready to grow, just wanting to know what does the Bible say. You show it to me. I'll do it. I'll do anything to fix the marriage. Okay? So she's ready to go. So we went to Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 to 5. And we read those. I had her read them for me. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye 
And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the back out of your brother's eye. So when I come in today as a counselor, I have to examine my heart and I have to say, Lord, what are the logs in my life today? Help me to take the logs out of my life so that I can see clearly to help Susie with the specks in hers. That's the spirit in which I have to come. You have come for counsel for your marriage. Your husband's not here. He's already told you he's not coming. He doesn't think he has a problem. He doesn't think the marriage has a problem. If there's a problem, you're the problem. He's told you that. And you said that, yes, you would have to admit that you have a critical spirit. And what does God say in this text? You have to get the log out of your eye. So it's kind of funny, isn't it? You know, here's this guy that comes running up to you and he says, Hey, Bob, can you help me? I got this. I got a little speck right here in my eye. But I've got this rafter sticking out of my eye. So I say, Sure, Joel, let me help you with that speck. And I turn my head to get a good look and whack him upside of the head with this rafter. I think there was probably a ripple of laughter going through the, the congregation on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was preaching this as they thought about this the ridiculousness of this way that Jesus is illustrating, you got to get the log out of your own eye first. I said, are you willing to take the log out of your eye? Your husband's not here. We have to start with you because you're the one that is here. Are you willing to go to work on this log in your eye? She said, yes. I want to do whatever God wants me to do. And if that's where we need to start and that's what it says, then... I'm willing to go to work. Let's go to work. I said, okay. Now, tools in your toolbox. So I reached into my desk drawer, which I had right next to me, uh, and uh, I pulled out a sheet. It looks like the DWT sheet you have on page two of your notes, not the outline that you're looking at. Uh, I pulled out that outline, and I gave one to um, my son-in-law, Tim, And one to my daughter, Michelle, because uh, my son-in-law was with us that summer as an intern for our church. So the two of them were sitting in on this counseling session as uh, counselors in training. And then I gave one to her. But before we get to that point, I want to review quickly the whole process of biblical change. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 29. I'm assuming you're in the advanced track. You're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I do want to review it for just a couple of minutes together. So Ephesians 4, 17 to 29. It's in the left-hand column of the first page of your notes on biblical change and the tongue. So the first verse, 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Now remember, Paul doesn't have highlighting bold underline italics on his computer. You know, he doesn't have that. So when Paul wants to make a statement, what does he do? He piles up words together. When Peter wanted to make a statement about how God would see you through, last night in First Peter chapter 5, he will perfect you, he will confirm you, he will establish you. And he piles the words together to get the point, God's going to see you through this. And he piles up words together, Paul does, so this I say, and affirm, together with the Lord, wants you to listen. Don't walk like you used to walk, like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. 
They're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They have become calloused. They've given themselves over to sensuality and the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So don't walk like you used to walk. You can change your walk. You know, I love Jay Adams' comment, you know. People say, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And his answer is, well, I don't know about that because I'm not a dog trainer. But I know you can change. Because God says, stop walking like you used to walk. Your walk is characteristic of you. If I knew your walk well enough and I could hear you, um, and it was a hallway where your heels would make a noise, I could recognize your walk coming. Or I could follow and behind and recognize your walk, that gate that you have. That can change. You have a gate for sinning, a propensity. You sin in a particular way characteristic to you, according to the way you've learned to sin over your life. Stop walking that way. Stop walking in the futility of your mind. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? It says, don't lean on your own understanding. You're a fool if you trust your own heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. You can't trust it. Quit walking in the futility of your mind, which is darkened in understanding, excluded from God, and that quit walking in this hardness of heart, this callousness, and practicing impurity and sensuality. You know, we're selling hamburgers and car tires with girls dressed seductively. Everything is about that in our culture. It's a billion-dollar business in pornography. And then, you know, the bottom line, what is in it for me? And if there's nothing in it for me, forget it. Uh, That's the way you don't walk. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed, what? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. Now, who's Paul talking to? The Ephesian Christians. And he's halfway through the book. And he's now, he's talked about First Corinthians, or Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, all about the gospel, all about your seated with Christ in heavenly places, all about salvation by grace and created in Christ Jesus unto good works and the Spirit of God can work in your inner man and do beyond what you ask or even think. And it's all about that. Chapter 4, now I want you to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Quit walking like the Gentiles walk. You didn't learn Christ that way, if indeed you're in Christ. So as you get halfway through counseling, you may need to be saying, if indeed this person is in Christ, because I'm not seeing any fruit You can't judge their heart. You cannot judge their motives. But you can be a fruit inspector. In fact, you are commanded to be a fruit inspector. Is the fruit the fruit of righteousness? And if not, and Paul stops in the middle. He says, you know, stop walking like you used to walk as a Gentile. You didn't learn Christ that way. If indeed you're in Christ. So be checking on that. And then what does he say? In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, all of the things that come of the old nature, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, the deceitful desires of life. 
the deceitful desire of life. I mean, how many of you just wanted to leap out of bed and do God's will when you heard the alarm clock go off this morning? But in good, what does the Bible say? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You had a trial on the way here this morning and some knucklehead in front of you was driving 20 miles an hour in the 40 mile an hour zone and you had choice Christian curse words to say to him. And, and, uh, um, but the Bible says that you are to honor others as more important than yourself. Well, he must have some reason for driving that speed when the speed limit is 20 miles faster. Um, Lord, I will honor him. And, uh, you know, somebody curses you and you immediately think, well, I need to bless them. But Jesus said, bless those who curse you. We're being constantly corrupted by the deceitful desires, by the desires of our old heart. And what we need to do is lay aside the old man and then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, is that just talking about gray cells? No, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The mind is the whole inner man. So the whole inner man is to be renewed. How does that happen? Well, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and I will do it. So I have to abide in him. I have to let his words abide in me and renew my mind. And I have to then ask him through the power of his spirit working in my inner man to change my heart and to produce in me what he wants to produce, that is, put on the new man, uh, the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, been created like Jesus. Want to know what the new man looks like? Study the Gospels. Look at Jesus. See how he handles things. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How does he handle the woman at the well? How does he handle the blind man that he heals completely? How does he handle various situations? And you look at Christ in his life, and you're going to walk like Christ in newness of life. Then he gives examples. Okay, so put off speaking falsehood. Put on speaking the truth, each one of you with his neighbor. Be angry, but don't sin. In other words, there is righteous anger. You can be angry and not sin if you're righteously angry by what would anger God. But don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's part of the new man. You don't let the sun go down on your anger. You handle it before the sun goes down. How can you do that? By committing it to God. If you're angry about what would anger God, but you can't do anything about it, you can cast it on him and not go to bed with that stirring you up, even if it's righteous anger. Then he says, <clears throat> he who steals must steal no more. When is a thief not a thief? When he quits stealing? No. He has to stop stealing. And then he has to labor. He has to work with his own hands what is good. So that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So when is a thief not a thief? When he lays aside thieving, he puts on laboring, and he puts on sharing. He's now giving to others instead of stealing from them. And now he's done that. Now the next verse, 
Let no unwholesome word. <clears throat> now here we go. Audience participation, please. I want you to read the verse with me. Now, I don't want to have to say this twice. When I start reading, that means you read out loud with me, okay? Some of you may have Presbyterian background. This is a responsive reading where we're all going to read together, all right? So, because nine times out of ten, I have to stop and say, now, wait a minute. I said, let's read it together. So I don't expect to have to say that this time because you guys are all men here. You're very intelligent, and uh, you're going to read with me. So let's read together. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So Paul is now illustrating, don't walk like you used to walk. Don't walk in the corruptness of your own evil desires. Don't walk in callous hardness. Don't walk in sensuality. Don't walk in greediness. Bottom line, if there's nothing in it for me, you can forget it. We don't walk that way. We put on Christ. The truth is in Christ. Now, in the area of the tongue, what does that mean? Well, four things stand out to me. Put off unwholesome words. Any words that don't build up are unwholesome. They're corrupting, that word means. If you look on the next page, Matthew twelve thirty-four to 37 is quoted. And Jesus says, you brood of vipers. Now, that's pretty serious language. How can you speak good when you are evil? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know how we say, oh, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You maybe didn't mean to say it, you know, but uh, did you mean it? If you said it, it comes out of your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, listen to this, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so, uh, whoa, every careless word, unwholesome words, just say no. Stop saying any unwholesome words. And then put on good words that edify. 1621 is in the left-hand column down toward the bottom. The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. You know, uh, it's not just good words that edify, but even the way you say it, dear, doesn't really sound very endearing, you know, uh, you know, we have to think about what we're going to say, is it wholesome, does it edify, does it build up, you can say to your wife, hey, sweetheart, you look great tonight, now that's blessing her, and that's good, but if you're going to build her up, you need to say, wow, you look great, you know, I can't believe how well you can put outfits together. You can coordinate things. I can't decide what shirt to wear with what pants. I have to ask you for help. But you just are gifted in putting an outfit together that looks so good. Now you've edified her because you have actually built her up for the skill that she has in coordinating uh, outfits. Or if you say, wow, you not only can put good food on the table, but you make it look so attractive. And your cord, uh, her ability to coordinate that. You can build her up for her ability to shop and find bargains. So you build up 
uh, with your words. And then you put on good words that edify at the right time. Now, um, Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Mouth of fools just spouts out folly. The fool just says whatever comes to his mind. And you know what? I don't know in your case, but about 80% of what I, comes to my mind would be better off not said. The mouth of the fool just spouts it out. But what does it say here? The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. And then if you look under point number four, you see Proverbs 25, 11. You should actually put a little arrow. That actually belongs up under number three. It was a typo on my part. And uh, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. Apples of gold. I'd like to have a few apples of gold. Gold's worth pretty much an ounce. I don't know what a whole apple you know, made out of solid gold would be worth, but you know, I'd like to have a few of those. Like apples of gold in a setting of silver, and silver's going pretty good price too, is a word spoken in the right circumstances. I was 34 years old. It was Sunday evening. I had preached Sunday evening service. I came up. Uh, we were getting ready for bed, and I was just whining. Now, I'm 34 years old. What have I accomplished? And I flopped down on the bed. Mary turned around, and she said, Well, you've made one woman really happy. Made my day, made my life. I still think about it. You know, I didn't deserve it, right? I mean, I'm just complaining. I'm tired out at the end of the day, and, but now I've made this tiring day into, you know, my whole life is a mess, you know, I haven't accomplished anything, you know. And uh, she could have said, you know, suck it up. <laughs> get a life. Good grief. Just get a good night's sleep. You'll be all right in the morning. All right. But she didn't. And now, actually, she did both. A word in the right circumstance, but You know, good words that edify at the right time that minister grace. I could have deserved to just suck it up. You know, it's not that bad. You're just tired. You know, this isn't the end of your life. You know, you you haven't messed up your entire life. It's just been a difficult day. And uh, but she ministers grace with the right words at the right time, and that makes a difference. You know. Bless those who curse you. Somebody that curses you doesn't deserve. You know, you as a husband come roaring into the house at the end of the day and say, good grief, what have you been doing all day, woman? This place is a mess. Well, you know, the washer overran. She just had the kids pick up the whole living room, and then one of them decided to just throw the toy box all over the floor again. Anyways, uh, things haven't been going that well, you know. But then she still greets you with a hug and a kiss. That's ministering grace. Now, here we have the lady that's in front of me. I've pulled this out. I've given a copy to all. And I want to explain to her now how to use this tool. Uh, Discovering wonderful things. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. So I explained to her, just like I'm going to explain to you now, um, this way of study. So before you begin to study, according to Proverbs one you you're asking God to work. You can use Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Help me to turn then and obey your law, which is the concept in Proverbs one twenty-three. And there's the passage, Ephesians 4.29. And it's all filled out just like it is now. Um, and uh, 
What is observation? Well, she knows about observation because she's in a Bible study fellowship. So we say, look at the verse. Read it again with me in the left-hand column. Read the verse with me again. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Are we reading it together? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. One of the ways to observe is to read it in a different translation. So the ESV says, let no corrupting talk. Oh, unwholesome would be corrupting kind of talk. Come out of your mouth. But only such a word as is good for building up. Oh, yeah, that 50-cent word edification. I was trying to struggle with what that means. Ah, It means building people up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, what are some observations? Well, observation. The tongue can be a source of harm. Observation. No means not any foul, unwholesome words at all. Just stop it. Only allow good words that build people up to come from your mouth as an observation. The tongue can be an instrument to minister grace. Words are to be chosen according to the need of the moment. All that is observation. But is a shift from a negative command to a positive command. The negative command, you know, no unwholesome word. The positive command, only words that build up according to the need of the moment that minister grace. This verse is in a list of behavior to put off and put on. Another observation. Now, what is interpretation? Well, there's a whole explanation of that, which comes out of uh, Ephesians 4.17 to 32 and 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, what does this passage mean? Define words. Look up cross-references. Examine the context. Write out their interpretation. Is there a doctrine, teaching to know? What declarations of the gospel are included in this text? How does God's word work in the gospel to motivate you to obedience? What are the imperatives in the text? What does it say to do? Is there a reproof, a sin to avoid? Is there a correction, a command to obey? Is there instruction in righteousness? 90% of the people who come to you for counseling, and I may be exaggerating, okay? I don't have any real statistics on this. I'm just, you know... um, what is it, the old saying, um, figures don't lie, but liars figure. Uh, if you think about that for a moment, you'll get it. Um, so I don't have anything, but I'm thinking from my experience, 80 to 90% of the folks who come for counseling have never been discipled. This lady has 15 years of BSF experience. She knows how to study the Bible. Explaining this to her is repetitive to her, but I want to make sure she understands how we're working in this context. So then, how do you then interpret this text? And there's some examples of how that can be done and a couple of cross-references. Now under application, how does the passage apply to me? How does this passage show us God's love and grace given to us in the gospel? Be specific. Write out the gospel declarations related to the passage. And these may be found in the greater context of the passage. How should this change my life? Specific things I can apply uh, to the truth, how I can apply this truth to my life. Write down what you are going to do, with whom, for whom, and when you will start. So, in this case, the illustration, this passage challenges me to closely examine what I say, how I say it, why I say it. I must stop saying unwholesome words like, 
Can't you ever do anything right? And uh, you are always 10 minutes late. Can't you ever listen the first time? Well, as soon as you say to me, can't you ever listen the first time? I remember that, you know, when I, when I was in the Marines and the sergeant said, jump, I said, how high? I, I listened the first time. Now, I, I was never in the Marines, but um, I think most Marines would coordinate to that. They listened the first time. Okay, and they'll remember that, even though they may not be doing it now. And you say, can't you ever do anything right? Well, I remember once back in 1980 when I did it right the first time, you know. Uh, or you're always 10 minutes late. No, I, I remember. I, I actually got to church once on time. Um, I remember that because it stood out in my mind. Um, but the fact is, when we use emotional language, so we've got to stop that, but then we've got to, what do we say that is right? For example, when I was memorizing this passage, and my little girl, she's running down the street. She's four years old. She's running down the street this way, but I'm behind her, and she's looking back at me. Look at me, Daddy. She goes off the curb. And so I'm picking her up, and I said, Michelle, you are an accident going someplace to happen. And the Spirit of God says to my heart, is that wholesome? Is that building her up? Is that meeting the need of the moment? I thought, ah, I don't really want her to grow up thinking she's an accident going someplace to happen, although she is pretty accident prone at this time. <clears throat> and uh, what can I say to her? Well, I thought, well, I can say, Michelle, what were you doing before you got hurt? I was running. What were you what else were you doing? Well, I was talking to you. And Michelle, where were you looking? I was looking at you. Michelle, which way were you going? I was running toward the house. Okay. Michelle, what do you think would could you learn from this? And she said, uh-huh. She's thinking, you know, she's four years old. I said, Well, do you think it you need to look where you're running. Because when you're running, you get there fast. And if you're not looking, you stumble and fall like this and hurt your knee. Oh. She, see, it's a difference of, you're an accident going someplace to happen. Oh, I didn't say it like that. I said it in the sense of a joke. But this isn't the time for a joke. Timing uh, is important. Well, then there's a list of uh, five people. This person says, I'll make a list of the five people closest to me and the ten character qualities I appreciate about them, and I'll purpose to compliment one person each day. So I will now get an active plan as to how can I become a person who says wholesome, edifying things. Good idea. So I said to her, uh, if you look at the next page, there's a plan for action. So I said to her, uh, I want to give you a plan for action for this week. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't say that to her yet. Uh, We talked about the prayer, praying it back to God. And I said, look at this. Write out a personal prayer, praising God for what the passage affirms about God's work on your behalf, asking God to accomplish uh, in your life what the passage demands. So I said, this passage is what? It's a command, right? It's an imperative. Stop saying unwholesome words, start saying wholesome words that build people up. So here's a prayer. So go back now and read the verse with me. I asked her to read it with me, or I had her read it probably, but uh, read it with me one more time, okay? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, 
that it may give grace to those who hear. So I said, now, here's a prayer. Father, show me the things that I say that are hurtful and cutting, and help me to stop saying words that are unwholesome. Help me to say words that will build people up today and encourage them. I said, now, what you're doing is you're praying this verse back to God. You're asking God to change your inner man, renew your mind, and change your life, and make you like Jesus, and make you what this verse is asking. You're asking him to do that. Do you see that? Okay, do you understand the reasoning? Jesus said in the upper room, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and I will do it. Okay, John is sitting there listening to him. And John in 1 John says, five, chapter 5 verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And we know that we have the requests we have made of him. So, I'm asking according to God's word. Does God want you to stop being critical of your husband? How do you know that? Well, it says no unwholesome words. Nothing that will corrupt. Nothing that will discourage. uh, But only words that will build up. And even words that build him up and edify and show grace when he doesn't deserve it. You said he goes down and visits Henry. And uh, you said that he spends time talking to Henry. Do you suppose Henry is lonely? Oh, I'm sure he is. I mean, it's only been a year since his wife gone, and they were pretty close. And uh, I'm sure he's lonely. What, what do you think God thinks about your husband spending time talking to Henry? She thought for a minute, and then she said, well, <laughs> he's probably pleased with that. I said, well, and your husband is helping Henry with his chores, and didn't you say that Henry's getting pretty decrepit and can't do his own chores? Yeah. What do you think God thinks of that? Well, God's probably pleased with that. It's kind of true religion. Yeah, he's a widower and not a widow, but still he's helping someone who's in need and doesn't have someone else to help them, and I guess God appreciates that. Well, what if when he comes back from Henry's next time, you say something like, you know, I'm sure God is really delighted. It's true religion and undefiled to minister to the fatherless and the widow. And I know that the Lord is smiling when you spend time talking to Henry and helping him with his chores. What if you said something like that? Could you do that? Would that, would that be fulfilling and applying this text? She says, yeah, that, that would be good. I could do that. And so, that's good. Now, let's look at the prayer again. And tell me, what's wrong with this prayer? Look at the prayer again and tell me, what's wrong with the prayer? If the prayer is supposed to pray back the verse and ask God for what's in the verse, what's wrong with this prayer? Pardon? It should take a proactive perspective. More proactive perspective? Could be. Okay, that could be a way to add to that, which would be good. But what's missing? Look at the verse again, then look at the prayer. 
No. Pardon? I still can't hear. I'm sorry. No, about grace? All right. It says, help me to say words that will build people up today and encourage them. It doesn't mention the timing and it doesn't mention exactly grace. So that, I didn't, I got, I did a good job, but I actually missed two important aspects. Help me to say words that are gracious that people don't even deserve to hear good and help me to say my words at the right time. And so that could be added. So I want you, as you go home, uh, Susie, I want you to write out the prayer, include those items, and of course you'll write it in your own words. I mean, you can use these words if, if you can't think of better ones that you want to use for yourself, but, but write that and include those other things. And then look for ways under the next part that God is using it. So, Susie, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this list See all these names, Dick Jane, there's about 45 or 46 positive character qualities there. I want you to go through those, circle everyone that applies to your husband, and then start praising him at least once, but preferably two or three times a day for what he does that is good, for things that you appreciate. Be thinking ahead of time how you can praise him. You already have one idea, right? You can praise him about the way he's ministering to Henry. That's one idea. But, but the, what are other ways? Go through there, circle all the things that apply to him, and then uh, begin praising him for those things. Then as you look at the assignment, I want you to read a chapter a day in the book of Ephesians. See, I want to get her looking at the whole scope of Ephesians. Then I want you to just answer one of the questions. And notice one is in bold and uh, It's uh, capitalized and it's underlined. I'm kind of shouting at them one because I don't want them to get overwhelmed with these six questions and think, oh, I got to answer all six questions on every chapter. I'll be here all week just on this one part. No, I just want them to read the questions, then read the chapter and just answer one of the questions. Put a little, just a paragraph, two or three sentences. Write out a simple prayer asking God to enable you to carry out some application from that chapter. I want you to read Ephesians 4, 17 to 32 every day. Why do you think I want her to read that whole passage every day? Anybody got any ideas? And there could be a lot more ideas than my particular idea, but give me an idea. Why would I want her to read that particular portion over every day? Open her eyes. Okay, open her eyes to what? To the truth, but specifically what truth? What, what truth is being addressed in that section? Well, her, but the process of biblical change, right? That's the process. Don't walk like you used to walk. You're in Christ. He's the truth. Uh, put off the old man. Put on the new man. Do it through the renewing of the mind. The process is there. And I want her to get that process, right? Every counselee, when they leave, you want them to know the process so that they can then equip others to do the same thing. You want to equip equippers. So have her read it every day. Then I want you to meditate on verse 29. And I want you to see if you can add anything to this study. Other observations, interpretation that you might do. And what are your own specific applications beside the one I've asked you to do? I've asked you to circle one character, or all the character qualities that apply to your husband. And I've asked you to begin praising him. But what would be other ways... 
uh, that you can apply that text. And I want you to put Ephesians 4.29 on the card, and on the back of the card, write out your prayer, and then every time you say the verse, I want you to pray the verse back to God. Because praying it back to Him is the renewing of your mind. You're asking God to change your heart. You can't change your heart, Susie. I can't change your heart. You know, Tim and Michelle can't do it for you. Only God can change your heart, but he can change your heart. So, she goes home. Not to Simon. Come back next week. How'd you do this week? She said, I got a new husband. Remember I told you about 90% of what you think you shouldn't say? The first thought that went through my mind was, Oh, good grief. She went out and got a new husband and got rid of the old one, you know. Uh, And uh, that's not what I wanted her to do. I didn't say that, but I can remember it like anything. That's the first thing that went through my mind was. She went out and got a new husband and threw out the old one. Um, I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, he's just brand new. He's acting totally different. he's, uh, He's asking me to watch television with him. He's listening to me instead of sitting at the breakfast table and reading the newspaper, he's talking to me. He, he even started doing the list. Wait a minute. Uh, I forgot to tell you, one of her assignments was no unwholesome words this week. You can't talk to him at all about any list or what you want him to do. That was another part of the assignment that I forgot to give you. And uh, I said, you didn't bug him about that. No, no. I, I didn't say anything about it, but he just started doing things that had been undone for months. And uh, he's doing that. I said, oh, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, how about you? Did, did you read a chapter in Ephesians every day? I, yes. Uh, okay, did you write a little two or three sentences? Oh, yeah. Uh, can, can I see what you wrote? So she hands me her journal. Well, now, of course, she's a Bible study fellowship guy or gal. So instead of having a two or three sentences, she's got, like, in her journal, which was this size, she's got pretty much this much filled on each chapter, you know, for the six chapters or seven chapters that she's read because she started through again. And, uh, but that's okay. And I looked at it, and this is good insights. She knows how to study the Bible. She's putting to use all that stuff she's learned in BSF. Really good insights. This is great. Fantastic. Did you memorize the verse? Yes. I said, can you say it for me? Don't just take yes because, you know, uh, that may be true or not. She says yes. And she said, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it might minister grace to those who hear. I said, that is excellent. I said, now, did you pray it back to God? Every time you went over it, did you pray and ask God? She said, well, of course I did, Pastor Bob. That's what you asked me to do. It's kind of like she's offended that I'm asking her, did you do your homework? She doesn't realize that 90% of the people that come... They haven't done their first assignment at all well, and you have to really work with them on that. She doesn't realize that. And so uh, I said, well, I'm uh, good. Can you let me see your prayer, how you wrote it out? And it was excellent. And I said, you prayed this back every time. She said, yes, I have. Uh, I've done that. I said, well, good. I said, well, did you uh, circle the things that were appropriate to your husband? Yes, I did. Can I see what you circled? So she hands me her sheet. I look at the sheet and... About half of the things are circled. I said, well, I said at least 10. You got at least 20 circled here. And if he's doing all this stuff, he must be a pretty good guy. She said, oh, yeah, he's a wonderful guy. 
I said, well, that kind of wasn't the impression I got. Yes, well, you know, last week I was really, you know, just down on everything that was going on. And, uh, but, you know, when I looked at this and I started, I, I, he's, he's a good man. And, I mean, we've had good years. And, and, uh, and I mean, this week has been amazing. I said, oh, that's great. I said, well, did you praise him at least once a day? Oh, she said two or three or four times a day <clears throat> I was able to you know, do things, especially because he started doing some other things too. And I was able to praise him. <clears throat> and I said, well, let's go back and look at Matthew 7, 1 to 5. And so we took our Bibles and we, we went back to Matthew and chapter 7 and verses 1 to 5 and I asked her to read it again and she read it and I said, uh, did you stop judging his motives this week? And did you stop judge, dishing out um, um, critical words? And she said, yes. And, and did you start dishing out praise in a big-time manner? Yes. And uh, it says here that with the standard you measure it out, you'll get it back. And last week you were getting back negativism and lack of communication. This week you're getting back something totally different. Isn't that interesting? And what did you do? Well, I went after my problem and my log and what I needed to change. I said, oh, God's word is so true. And uh, it w works in our lives. And uh, she said, yes, it does. And I don't think I need you anymore. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, anybody can do this. And I said, anybody can do what? And she said, well... You brought me to the attention of what my sin was, and you brought me to a text that very directly um, applied to my sin, and you showed me how to hide that in my heart and ask God to change my heart, and I did that, and God is changing my heart. Of course, I got a lot to learn and a lot to go, but he's changing my heart, and and. Uh, I could do this same thing with any other problem I've got. I don't think I need you anymore. I can just do this on my own. And I said, I think you're right. But let's meet a couple more times just to see how things are going and if, if things are working there and uh, if we can we'll see if this is correct. And it was. We met a couple more times. She was uh, ready to go. And when she walked out the door that second night... Tim and Michelle said, Dad, is it always like this? <laughs> and I said, no. Best case scenario I've ever had. Now, that was 21 years ago. Best case scenario I've ever had since then. Nobody ever got it that quick. But she was a real live one. Now, before she walked out, the last thing she did was she, she leaned forward right after she said that she could didn't think she needed, and explained to me why. She leaned over the desk, and she said, Pastor Bob, why didn't somebody tell me this 15 years ago when I became a believer? I would be a different woman today if I had been practicing this the last 15 years. And at that point, I was glad she wasn't a member of my church because <laughs> I would have been guilty of not discipling her for that. I had a man, an elder, in a very prominent, really excellent church, 
I did a seminar just like this one, except the verse we used in that seminar was 1 Peter 4, 8. And we just we did the exact same thing we've done here with this exact outline, but we did it on 1 Peter 4, 8. And he came up to me afterwards, and, and this man knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. He said, no one has ever taught me to pray it back to God and ask him to change my heart. Um, I mean, I know scripture coming out my ears, but I've never... Ask God to change me according to that scripture. It's kind of all been about me knowing it. And you know what? Knowledge puffs up. But if you're asking God to reveal to you the hurtful things you say, he will do it. And you will be humbled. And then you will be praying more. Now, Lord, help me to say the right things. And help me to stop saying those unkind and unwholesome things. And you will be built up. And the person that's in depression needs to work through Scripture. Scripture is of encouragement about crying out to the Lord and and praying that back to God. What if she came back the next week and she said to me, Pastor Bob, nobody can do this. Talk about unwholesome words. You know, I say all kinds of unwholesome words. You know, I don't use those bad words like that F word, but... I use other words that are my Christian curse words and I say them with the same vehemence in my voice and with the same attitude in my mind that my non-Christian friends have and they use different words but it doesn't make any difference. The attitude of my heart is the same and nobody can stop. You said to me no critical words this week. I've said critical words all through the day, all the time. I can't stop it. Nobody can. I said, wait a minute. Did you read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6? Yes. Did you read chapter 3? Yes. Let's look at chapter 3. So we can turn back to chapter 3 and I can say, well, look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. You've got to keep asking God because you're saying I can't do it. God is saying with my spirit and your inner man, I can do abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. And right now you don't think you can do it. It's beyond what you think, but God can do it. That's why I want them reading the whole book and they're getting to all the context because there may be a need to point them back uh, to things like that. And the depressed person, if he can start working on, instead of me complaining, I can make a list of the five people closest to me. And I could start praising them for something I appreciate about them. And I could start saying something positive. It's simple enough if you break it down. Remember, everything is overwhelming. Uh, I may be exaggerating, but if you have serious depression, everything is overwhelming. Getting in the car and driving to church is overwhelming. Sitting in a service is overwhelming. Uh, Taking a walk for five minutes is overwhelming. Uh, So be careful as you break this down to give them a bite-sized bit that they can do. But if you can explain it and say, you know, things are difficult, but it's difficult for your spouse. Do you appreciate any of these things about your spouse? Could you keep building her up even though you, you don't feel right about yourself and you feel you're a failure? but you appreciate her and what she does, could you build her up? And if you did that, you would be obeying the Lord in this area. So if we can give them bite size and even a short verse on 
you know, praising God and that we can praise him from that scripture uh, could really work together for them. Our time is gone. Uh, Let's pray together and uh, ask God to work continually in our hearts. And then I believe the next session we'll be doing the Q&A. Father, you are good, powerful. You are able to change us. You can do more than we can ask or even think. And Lord, I don't know about these men, but I know my heart and I have very little faith. There are so many areas of my life where I, I just don't think I'll never get that right. But Lord, by your grace, we can get it right. And we can see change. And we can experience your power, the power of your spirit, who lives within us, working in our inner man, changing, renewing our minds, and then enabling us to live out gospel truth because your power is greater than the world and he that is within us is greater than the world. So enable us, Lord, to believe that truth and to practice it in our lives. Enable us to be able to help those who are facing the dark valley of depression and help them to look to you, uh, the author and the finisher, who says that even the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil. So work in our hearts, encourage us, help us to grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.